Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Awesome. All right, for those of you who are not familiar, we're kind of in the middle of a, a series we've been doing talking about being effective at living our lives in such a way that we can be a living witness of like that there is a God. And we've been specifically talking about the significance of being able to communicate the truths of God's word to other people uh, without trying to beat people over the head with the Bible. Um, and we've been talking about this outreach thing that uh, you guys have heard of Billy Graham. It's like huge evangelical guy uh, who's pushing, I keep forgetting, I've been saying this for six weeks, 90, 94, 93, he's up there. Uh, And for the last two weeks, Stephen uh, was sharing specifically ways that we can witness and share our faith, and um, in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to do a series about defending the faith, a series on apologetics, and uh, believe it or not, right now, more than ever, uh, from a Christian perspective, um, and I'm not going to go into a, you know, the whole thing about that, but they're just Christianity is on the defensive because so many people uh, view it as this um, oppressive thing and they have all these reasons, but uh, it's pretty much on the defensive. And uh, here's the thing, even though people view it that way, how many people would agree that desperately the world needs the church today? Now, there's a difference between the world needs the church and the world needs to go to church, which is what most people think. It's not that the world needs to be in this building on a Sunday morning, but it's that the world needs to know that there's a God who loves them, that who died for them, who cares about them, who accepts them, and who appreciates them. And uh, here's the thing. Let me show this with you. Many, many people today in our circles of influence that we know, that we connect with, um, could use the knowledge or the information or to hear about the fact that there is a God. Now, if you were to go in your circle of influence and ask 100 people, some of us are like, I don't know 100 people, but 100 people, whether it's your Facebook friends, Twitter friends, your uh, social media, people you work with, people you ride the bus with, people you shop with, whatever your circle of influence is, a lot of them would fall into these categories that we're about to go to. And I found this on the internet, so that means it's Okay, so uh, a lot of people fall into these categories. First of all, 7%, and it says your neighbors, but if you look in your circle of influence of people who struggle with depression, that they're depressed. And I talk to people uh, on, on social media and chat rooms and all that kind of stuff that are, they, they start out with, I am severely depressed. And there could be multiple reasons. There could be all kind of stuff. But there's lots of people that are just struggling with it. It's not I'm depressed because of this one thing and I'll get over it in an hour. I'll get over it by this afternoon. I'll get over it by tomorrow. It's a season, days or weeks or months of depression. Uh, In addition to that, 14% of people are dealing with fear and anxiety. I mean, realistic fear. Not like, hey, I'm, I'm just, you know, afraid I'm going to get caught because I did something crazy. But fear, how many of you guys remember, and I can't remember that guy, Harold Camping or whatever, that was talking about the world's going to end, and he gave a date, and he was wrong because we're still here. But so many people bought into that because it fed their existing fears. And there were people that sold their homes and spent their life's fortunes because they were in fear that the world was going to end. 
And also, uh, in addition to that, probably uh, 7% of your circle of influence are dealing with addictions and abuses. Now, there are a lot of people uh, in our circle of influence that are, I'm not talking about people that drink, because that's not necessarily meaning that you're addicted. I'm talking about people that are severely addicted to either alcohol or some type of drug to where it controls their life. They don't have a say in what they do. It controls what they do and when they do and where they do because it has taken control of their life. In addition to that, probably 3% of people are dealing with the death of a loved one. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that people don't die. People die every day. It happens. But from the perspective of God, death is not the end. And it is scary. And it is hard. And we do grieve when someone passes away. And especially this earlier this year, I had like multiple people in my family between January and like last month that passed away. But from a Christian perspective, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to miss them, but I also have the hope and the joy that I will see them again. And it doesn't make sense to a person outside of a relationship with God because they think I'm crazy that this person's gone and I'm hoping and expecting to see them again. But to me, It does make sense because I have God in my life. But also in addition to that, there's probably 8% of people that are dealing with the loss of a job. And it's not just, hey, the loss of a job. It's I lost my job. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay my bills? Because now I'm in potential of losing my house, my car, perhaps even losing uh, your your family. The loss of a job brings on so many other uh, problems and issues that it, just drives people crazy. And 60% of people, now this specifically, 60% of people that say they are Christians are not what the Bible says born again, meaning they have this relationship with God. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. A lot of them are into religion. A lot of them are into, you know, hey, I know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they're missing the relationship portion of it. And even though the world needs the church, most people don't want anything to do with the church because the church has such a bad rap. It does. The church has such a bad rap. There are people that think, and and you don't have to raise your hand, but probably if you were to ask some of your friends, or you may have heard them say this, lots of people think that people in the church are judgmental. I never heard that. That we're hypocritical because we say one thing and and we do another, and all you've got to do is just wait days, weeks, maybe a month, and you'll see another something on one of the news channels about someone uh, in the church either robbing the church or taking money from the church or hurting people in the church or doing something. And these are the same people that say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And so people look at us and say we're hypocritical and we're judgmental and we lack integrity and we, we, we don't have respect for other people. And yet we're the people that say, you know, God loves you and I love you too. And I want to show you unconditional love. And I'm not saying that's my opinion, but that's the opinion of a lot of people. And um, I want to show you a video that kind of emphasizes the way not everyone, but a lot of people today, the way they view the church. Church, you're kidding, right? 
mean that stuffy place with all those narrow-minded people who just want to control everybody? Christians make me sick. All they want to do is tell you how you're going to go to hell if you don't believe what they do. That is so stupid. They really believe that all those Jewish kids and Muslims and Buddhists are going to go to hell? Give me a break. What a bunch of hypocrites. You'll never catch me in a church. No way. Church is okay, I guess. I mean, I go there every Sunday, but not because I want to. My mom makes me go. I don't know why. My Sunday school class is dumb. All we do is play these silly games that I outgrew a long time ago. My friends at school make fun of me for going to church. They say they get sleep in on Sundays, play video games, and even go to the pool in the summer. My friend Tammy plays soccer. I'm not allowed because my mom says they have games on Sundays. I hate it. I wish I didn't have to go. I don't know why anyone would waste their precious time on a Sunday listening to these self-righteous men ranting and raving about all these things that you have to do. And we all know that they don't practice the thing that they preach. All they want is money. <laughs> My hard-earned money. Well, here's a suggestion. Go get a real job. Give them long enough, the truth will come out. There'll be another scandal. Another one, a hypocrite will be outed. Power-hungry, money-grubbing bigots, every one of them. I don't need to waste my time. Besides, my life is turning out just fine without all the, all the moralism and Jesus is the only way stuff. Church? Nope, not for me. I loved going to church with my family on Sundays. Our church even had its own youth group. It was so awesome. We had our own band, and the youth leader was just so cool, so down to earth. I felt like I fit in, like I never had anywhere else. So I was surprised when they asked me not to come back. It hurt, actually. It really hurt. My boyfriend and I had made a really bad choice. We didn't mean to, it's just we got caught up in the moment. I ended up deciding to keep the baby. When the youth leaders found out, they thought I'd be a bad influence on the other girls. So they told me I should stay home on Wednesday nights. Never had the courage to go back to church. I just couldn't understand how Jesus could let them be so mean to me when I needed them the most. I know most of us would agree that those are probably not our perceptions of the church. But I think we can all agree that there are people outside of these walls that that is their perception of those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, those of us who call ourselves the church. And the whole reason we're asking people to, to get involved is because the only real representation of what the church is and who God is, is you. And the only person who can go to those people in your circle of influence and say, that's, that's, that's not the church I know, 
That's not the God I know, is you. I mean, I can walk up to your neighbors and, and tell them whatever I want, but when you walk up to the people that you know and say, well, here's what God's done for me. Here's what God has done in my life. Here's what being a part of a church family has meant to me, has done for me. Uh, they'll listen to you 10 times quicker than they'll listen to me. So um, as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about this, this My Hope evangelistic outreach that, that Billy Graham is spearheading and asking you guys to pray for and be a part of it. And uh, just to reiterate again, the whole strategy is based on the people in your circle of influence. And they're asking, uh, and I'm going to show you that this comes from the Bible, millions of times that this has been done. They're asking people to just look around at people in your circle of influence and say, hey, I know, I know this guy, I know that guy, I work with this person, I go to school with that person, I hang out with this person, I ride the bus with that person, I bowl with this person, I hunt with that person, I go to the gym with this person, whatever your circle of influence looks like, uh, to just go to them and to identify people and pray for them. Pray for them daily. We've been asking you guys to uh, bring these um, prayer lists and not to share them with us, not to tell us who you're praying for, but so that you have a list of people that you're daily, consistently praying for. And put it in your car, hang it from your mirror. Don't hang it from your mirror because if they see a list hanging from your mirror, they're going to think you're doing like a hit list thing and they'll call the cops on you and all that kind of stuff. So don't do that. But put it in your car somewhere or, or hang it in your mirror in your bedroom or bathroom so every morning you spend time in prayer. And then look out for opportunities to interact with those people. We're not salespeople. So it's not like we're waiting and we're just going to write their name down and then make a cold sales call and say, hey, come to church with me. I want to tell you about Jesus. But look out for opportunities to interact with those people. Invite them into your life. Don't invite anyone to church, and this, this, I've said this a hundred times before, that you're not willing to invite into your life. Because if you're inviting them to come here with you, then you're, you're, you're presenting them with an opportunity where they may say, hey, well, I want to know this Jesus. And they may, you're, if you're not willing to spend time with them here and in your life, uh, don't invite them to spend eternity with you. Because that's what's going to happen if they become Christ followers. So if you're inviting someone to come to church, invite them into your life. Don't wait and let that be the first conversation you have with them. It's, hey, come to church with me. What about, hey, let's go have coffee. Or, hey, you know what, we, we, been working at the same place for years and we've never actually stopped and talked or we've been going to the you know same gym for years and, and talking in the gym what are you doing afterwards let's go have a mochaccina frappe double cup latte whatever and then pay for it offer to pay for it of course those can be expensive but if you get a starbucks all right i'm getting off i'm getting off getting off topic all right but then then we're going to ask some of you for some of you this is where this is going to stop and for some of you we're going to ask you to um create an event and invite these people to your home to create an event create a dinner and just say hey i'm going to invite these people over and i'm going to show you what that looks like from the bible invite these people over and then we're going to ask you to to um have this billy graham thing he's going to stream it he's going to uh uh and, and it's not just because I've heard people say that Billy Graham is like 90-something. People in my circle of influence are going to see him and be like, okay, whoosh, they're going to just shut off. But it's not just him. It's testimonies from other people who have put their hope in Jesus Christ. It's going to be streaming, social media, and all that kind of stuff. But invite them to come and partake 
of it with you. And I said, and I think I forgot to tell Ben, but I didn't mention to Rachel, what we're going to do is try to find some place to do it and invite the youth to bring their friends. We're going to, you know, feed them and hang out with them and spend some time with them and then watch this short. It's going to be like, I think, 20, 30 minute event. And then at the end of that, share your testimony. And like Stephen said last week, it's really short. If you can, you can do this in three minutes. Here's where I was before. Here's how I came to know God. And here's what he's done in my life. Here's where I am now. That has more impact on a person than me as a pastor trying to sit and say, thus saith the Lord, the Bible says yada, 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 and they'll walk out of here and they're not going to remember that. But they will remember you saying, here's where I was before. Here's how I came to know God. And here's what he's done in my life now. And then here's, the, here's <laughs> this is the part that gets me, is because this is where we as the church we, we, we get so focused on getting people into these buildings that we lose focus. And we don't look after the people. It's great that you invite someone to come to church with you, but don't let that be the last conversation you have with them. Continue to interact with them. That's why it's important to invite them into your life. Now, turn to the book of Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to show you where this takes place. This whole uh, scenario is laid out. And while you're turning there, uh, uh, let me just give you some background on it. This period that we're about to look at in the book of Acts chapter 10 uh, takes place at a time where the church was dealing with the church, the body of Christ, not a building. The church was dealing with phenomenal growth, right? It's somewhere in the seven to 10 years after the resurrection, uh, maybe 11, seven to 10 or 11 years. And, and, and so many people are amazed to hear that they can interact with God. But the problem is, the only people that are hearing it are people that are within the Jewish denomination. The people that are already tied to the Jewish denomination. None of the what the Bible calls Gentiles, people that uh, were not Jewish, were hearing this message. And so we're about to see where um, this changes God changes it and makes clear that his message of hope, his message of love, his his message of unconditional grace is not just for one people group, but it's for everyone. So if you're not there, turn to the uh, book of Acts chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and in Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to try to go through this whole chapter quickly uh, for the sake of time, but um, in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says, at Sisera. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, this was a soldier, for which I have great respect, being an Army veteran. And Memorial Day is coming up, so take some time. Uh, Don't just cook out, you know. I mean, how hard is it to send an email or a phone call to veterans and say thank you, you know, and, and just acknowledge them, and I get easily distracted. Back on task. Okay. A centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, extreme generosity, one of our core values, and prayed to God regularly, passionate spirituality, one of our core values. Verse 3, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. 
Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And let me, let me just summarize. Here's what happened. Okay? Cornelius was a guy who, um, and we all know people like this in our circle of influence, who had the desire to know God. And he had not the book knowledge, but he had the desire to know God. He had the religion, for lack of a better term. He did not have the relationship with God. And we all know, or, or maybe we do, maybe we don't, people in our circle of influence who, who desire to know God, and I talk to people so often who say, yeah, you know what, I went to church for 10 years, 8 years, 22 years, and I left because I didn't find God. They know the Bible backwards and forward. They know all the structure within their denominational affiliation. But they never took the step of faith across the line of faith to engage in a relationship with God. They just went along with, here's what the book says. They just went along with, well, here's what my denomination says. But not once did they engage and hear what God was speaking to their heart. And lots of them have left. Some of them are still, you guys know people in your circle of influence that are still in the church, but um, they are churchgoers. They are avid Bible readers, but they are lacking the relationship with God. And Cornelius was a seeker. He, he said, hey, I know that there is this God out there. I know that there's this God who exists, and I know I'm supposed to pray for him. I know he wants me to give. I know he wants me to do these things, but he didn't have that relationship with God. And so he is uh, what you know, I think uh, however many years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they came up with a term called a seeker, people who are seeking God. Now, here's the thing. What we're about to read, Cornelius is seeking God. God responds to Cornelius. And I've met so many people that say, you know what? Um, I've, I've, I've got the religion. I, I know the Bible. I know this and have been able to walk away. I've never, and I'm not the end all be all, but I've never met one person who said, I was truthfully seeking for God to reveal himself to me, that God did not reveal himself to you, that God did not show up. And here's the thing. Cornelius is like, hey, God, I want to know you. God, if you're there, I'm praying to you. I'm doing what your word says. And God responded to him by sending someone from the church. The primary vehicle that God uses to reach people is people. But it only works when we are willing to go, to step outside of our comfort zone and do what God says. So uh, let me finish reading. Drop down to verse 9. In verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now these are the people that Cornelius sent. They're on their way to go get Peter, just like the angel told him to. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. Then a, a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now Peter is up on the roof. For you, imagine you going out on your deck. You're hungry. And then God shows you a buffet of Andrew Zimmerman's Bizarre Foods. I mean, there's stuff crawling and slithering and all kind of stuff. And I am probably the only one who would eat that. 
Anything with barbecue sauce and ketchup. Amen. All right, but so he shows this stuff, and, and he says, no, I'm not supposed to eat this. I'm not supposed to eat this. On a side note, if you go back, Jesus has already said, if you receive that food and you give thanks and, ble- and, and receive it and bless it from God, then it's not the dirty thing that makes you unclean. All food would be okay. But the voice spoke to him in verse uh, 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven because Peter, like some of us, we don't listen very well, and God's got to reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now get this. This is, this, is, this is what happens. He gets this vision, and he's being told, even though it doesn't seem that way to him, that, hey, these things that you call unclean, these things that you say I'm not supposed to associate with, it's okay. And here's what happens a lot of times for us in the church, and maybe some of you have experienced this in the past. Sometimes we in a church, we get so used to being in these four walls and being with just people who come in these four walls that we start to look down on people outside of these four walls, and we get a little frustrated, and we get a little angry, and we get a little judgmental about going to them and sharing the gospel with them and telling them that there is a God who loves them. Because we get like Peter and look and say, well, they're unclean. They're not Christians. They're not the church. They're not Christ-like. And our focus becomes what's going on in here when the only reason that God has us here is so that we can go and minister to the people out there. And it's what I call, um, and I don't know, many of you guys, I'm aging myself here, but it, it's, it's, it's the, how many of you guys remember Fred Flintstone? Okay. The Fred Flintstone mother-in-law syndrome, okay? Now, for some of you who remember her, uh, she, was, she had a voice like, uh, like, like Barry White. I mean, one of those deep <laughs> voices, and Fred hated her with, like, a passion. And typically, and no offense to, you know, the mother-in-laws, but typically when you get married, there's this stigma that your mother-in-law is like the Cinderella evil stepmom, Right? Don't say yes if you're sitting next to your spouse. But that's, that's the stigma that we, that we expect, that this person is going to be, you know, the, the only way that we can exist in this marriage is to keep them at arm's length. We're not going to talk to them. We're not going to do anything with them. We're just going to, you know, let them exist to keep our spouse happy. But that's not the way, that's the way that a lot of people view the church, and that's the way some people in the church view other people. I've talked to pastors who are, um, and, and not saying that this is what we're doing, but I've talked to pastors who are extremely frustrated because they, they, they say to their church members and their board, hey, here are some ideas we can do to go out and to, you know, share the gospel and to reach and to serve the community, just to go do something for the community. And the response they get is, our job is to meet the needs of the people in here. And you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. The whole purpose of the church is to, one, Lift up and glorify God. That's, that's, that's the main thing that we're here to do. And then two, to share and to show the love of Christ to people outside of these walls. And then to invite them to be recipients of Christ's love. And that's the other side of the mother-in-law syndrome where hopefully we just, we just now I, I happen to have a great mother-in-law, and I'm not just saying that because this is going to be recorded. 
I have a wonderful mother-in-law. And I, I was saying earlier that just this has been a rough year because early on, my cousin passed away. Uh, and then in uh, April, his, his mom passed away. And then in end of March, my brother passed away. So my mother-in-law sent me like a little gift box full of stuff. We actually did an unboxing video. You guys don't know what that is. Anyway, she sent me a bunch of, uh, a bunch of stuff just to cheer me up, just out of the blue. I have a great mother-in-law. But the mother-in-law syndrome is normally you either reject them or what most smart people and all of the spouses here will do and what I'm sure Rachel Mike will do <laughs> is that you get to know them. And just like you get to know other people, you find out more about them and you grow to love them. And all the husbands said, amen. Thank you. All right, so that's the goal. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look for ways to accept those people, regardless of what stigma we have about them, regardless of what we think about them, regardless if they don't live like we do, walk like we walk, talk like we talk, believe like we believe, we're supposed to get to know them. All right, jump back into uh, chapter 10. Drop down to verse 23. So the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. This is the thing that we are asking you guys to do. This is what he did. He said, hey, all of you guys who are my friends and my, and my family and my relatives and people that I've been doing life with, come to my house so you can hear the gospel preached. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. You are Fred Flintstone's mother-in-law. I'm not supposed to have anything whatsoever to do with you. But then he said, but God has shown me what I should not call, or excuse me, that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you're sent for me? He, this, is, this is what happened. This whole scenario that we're telling you guys about, this is exactly what happened. Cornelius looked around, said, hey, who are my friends? Who are my families that I've been doing life with? I want to invite them over. Because someone's going to come here. We're going to hear this presentation of the gospel. And the people that I've been doing life with, the people that I've been in my circle of influence, I want them to come. I want them to hear this. Now drop down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is, this is what Cornelius did. He invited all his family, he invited his friends. He said, I want you to hear. And if you put Peter in a place of like a, a Billy Graham, Peter just said, here's the gospel. Here's the truth. Here's, here's what's going on. And Peter did what we're going to ask some of you to do. In three minutes, he shared his testimony. And yours is not going to be that because you weren't there at the time, but yours simply, hey, here is what life was like before. And last week, Stephen shared his testimony. And mine, I've, I've never like, even thought about how do you, how do you sit and, and tell someone your whole life story and condense it down to three minutes? Because I don't know about you, but I think my life is pretty exciting, so <laughs> apparently I'm the only one. All right, but... I, I'm like, how do you condition that? But the, but the truth is, like for me personally, I mean, I know growing up, I didn't have the greatest life. I didn't have the worst life. But I know one thing that I was desperately looking for. I was looking for love. I just didn't know it at the time. I looked for it through hanging out with people I shouldn't have hung out with. I looked for it through drugs. I looked for it through sex. I looked for it through anyone that would show me any kind of attention. And even when I realized, by, I, I read this book that talked about uh, the fact that Jesus was coming back, and even though my mom had taken me to every kind of church you can imagine, not in one of them did I ever hear the gospel preached or hear that Jesus was coming back. And even when I went and said, hey, well, if Jesus is coming back, I've got to, you know, let me, let me see if this is real. And as I went and looked through Scripture, I was like, wow, how can anyone read this, and then say, well, I still deny that God exists. But even then, I was at the place where a lot of people are. I know a little bit about the book, but I was missing the relationship. And only when I got to a point where I was willing to say, okay, God, if you're real, instead of me looking for love in groups of people or in sex or in drugs or in money or in all these things I was chasing after, if you show me how much you love me, I'll be yours for life. And only then did I truly step into a relationship with God and never had to look anywhere else for that kind of love. And some of you, you have stories that are, are more amazing. Some are like Stevens where, you know, you did crazy things or wild things or went to jail or did all kind of stuff or had people. Did he say someone threatened to beat him up? Yeah, just if, because if you're not living out like the Bible, I'm going to come beat you up. But maybe you, whatever your story is, here's where I was before I came into this relationship with God. Here's how I came into this relationship with God. And here's what being in a relationship with God, here's how that has changed my life. And it doesn't matter because I talk to people every day that say this isn't real. How could this be real? How could that be real? I got to tell you, I don't have to, I can't feel, touch, I can't show you that my wife Christy loves me. I can't give you any physical representation of that, but I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
and I can't take your hand and put it on God and show you, here's God, touch him, feel him, but in the same way, I know he loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is never, ever, ever anything that will make me believe that God doesn't exist because I've experienced his love. And that's what we're asking you to share with people. And when Peter did that, here's the result. Here's what happened. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still talking, while he was still speaking in the middle of his testimony and his scenario, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And I've had people say, well, how do we know that this was a real relationship? Here's the thing. It tells us elsewhere in the Bible, God gives us his Holy Spirit as a sign a promised seal of our relationship with him. So these people, everyone that was there, these people came seeking God. They confessed and believed what Peter was saying about God, and God responded by giving himself to them. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I'm not going to ask you to take out your list, but I'm going to ask you to just, again, think about the people in your circle of influences. Maybe you don't want to think about everybody. Maybe you don't have to think about everybody. But just think about the people that, I know people that are looking for love. I know people that are dealing with depression. I know people that are dealing with anxiety. I know people that are dealing with maybe anger and hurt. I know people that are dealing with lost jobs. I know people that are dealing with all of these things that we saw before, and we all know people that could use some hope. The hope that God gives to everybody through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, for those of us who, we get, we get to come here on Sunday, then I know as, we, as the, you can look around, as the weather gets warmer, more people will spend time at home, and that's great, and all that stuff, and doing other things. But it's such a blessing to be able to gather with people and, and to hang out with them. And I come from a, a culture where Sunday morning is not the only time that we get together as a church. It's the time where we get together and we sing and we celebrate and we hear a message and we reflect on it. But throughout the week, at multiple times, we're looking for ways to get together, to love on one another, to share with one another, because it is so blessed to have people in your circle of influence who love you and care about you and want to be there for you. And each of us has people in our circle of influence that could use someone that loves them, that cares about them, and all they want to do is just be there for them. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and as we sing these next few songs, uh, just let God speak to your heart about people in your circle of influence that really could just use the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. God, you are more amazing than we could ever imagine. And it's mind-boggling that all you ask from us is that we let you love us and tell others that you want to love them too. God, give us that passion to want to share that hope, that joy that you bring to our lives, to want to share it with others. God, we pray that we would be the vessels, we would be the people 
that you use to reach people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.